Would you go to First uh, Corinthians three, please, this morning? I'm thinking we'll start a new series today. Is that all right? You ready for that? New series. Well, that's a vote of confidence because you don't even know what it is, and, and you're going, "Amen." So, so I, I appreciate that. In 1 Corinthians, the uh, third chapter, I don't know if that's what I said or not, but chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. He said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Everybody say God. God. Gave the, increase. gave the increase. The next verse, he, he repeats the, the thought. He says, so then neither is he that plants anything, neither he that waters. He's, he's saying, it's not that big a deal who did the planting or who did the watering. Because neither the planter nor the waterer gave the increase. Because it's God. Is that right? That gives the increase. Everybody say it's God, it's God who gives the increase. And that's the title of our new series, The God of Increase. The God of Increase. Is He the God of Increase? Well, you just got through reading it with your own eyes. I didn't write that. You didn't write that. That was here way before any of us were born. It was true then, it's true now. He is the God of increase. That's who he is, that's what he does, that's his will, that's his plan. Well, then he's not the God of decrease, right? Because if you're the God of increase, you wouldn't be the God of decrease. And if you're the God of increase, you wouldn't be the God of staying the same. Huh? The God of the status quo. Huh? The God of ho-hum. <laughs> no. He's the God of increase. Everybody said out loud, my God is the God of increase. He's the God who gives the increase. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Go to the, the Psalms, Psalm 115. As far as I know, these are our two main texts for the series. We'll see. You learn as you go. But Psalm 115, and you'll recognize this one if you've been church, to church here before. We, we quote this one practically every service. Psalm 115 and verse uh, 12. It said, the Lord has been mindful of us. That's a comforting thought. You know, sometimes you'll hear people pray, Lord, don't forget me. Lord, he doesn't have memory problems. Huh? That's a wasted prayer. Lord, don't forget me. If he told you, 
He'd never leave you. He'd never forsake you. You need to believe that. Right? Some people say, well, I, yeah, but I just feel. Yeah, that's the problem. You're going by your feelings instead of what he said. Uh, the Lord's been mindful of us. You ought to say, thank you, Lord, for thinking about me. The Lord's been mindful of us. What did he have on his mind? What was he thinking about when he thought about us? About blessing us. Somebody ought to say, thank you, Lord. He, he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron. Keep going, verse. He'll bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. Well, that's everybody that believes in him. And then it said, this is the one we quote here uh, virtually every Sunday. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Hmm? Somebody say, it is written. written. Psalm 115, 14. 14. The Lord shall increase us us. more and more. More more. Us and our children. children. Man, it wouldn't hurt you to say that a hundred times next couple of days. Why? It's not going to make it more true, but it'll get in you. So that you begin to believe it. It begins to be more and more real to you. Instead of just words on a page. You take it as God talking to you. And it begins to be more more real to you. The more you hear it. The more you say it. The more you think it. The more you meditate on it. Focus it. So say it again. The Lord Lord will will increase me. me More and more. more. Me and my children. Is that a good word or is that a good word? Not just, I mean, if he just said, I'll increase you, that'd be great. If he said, I'll increase you some more, that'd be even more better. But he says, I'm going to increase you more and more. What does that mean? This is a progressive thing. Is that right? And it doesn't end. More and more. I like more and more. Don't you? More and more. Uh, that, that word, if you look it up, and we're going to be talking about this, is one of the ones we're going to be talking about. More and more is from the Hebrew word that means to add to. To add to. Uh, actually, the word uh, Joseph, which is... Uh, Name of one of the patriarchs, you know. When uh, Joseph's mother gave birth to him, and they named him Joseph, or that's how we pronounce it. It'd be Yosef, I think is how it is, maybe more correctly. But um, and the same thing, you know, with uh, Jehovah Jireh, uh, Yahovah, but it messes up our song. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the truth is, uh, scholars disagree on pronunciations. So don't get hung up in that. And our, isn't it wonderful? God understands all languages. Isn't that wonderful? 
Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. But uh, uh, when, when Joseph was born, his mother, when they named him Joseph, that literally means God will add. Or, or added to, maybe is more, more technically correct, added to. And the implication was God's going to add to me another son. God's going to add to me more children. That was why she named him that. And so God is the God of increase. He's the God of adding to you. He's the God of more and more. Hmm? And the devil hates this. Oh, he hates this. And he fights it. And he has been far too successful getting churches to fight it. Getting ministers and Christians to fight this message of increase and abundance. But I didn't write this. Huh? You didn't write this. And who is it that wants the church broke? So that they can't go into all the world and preach the gospel. Who is it that wants Christians broke so that they can't help anybody else? So that they're, uh, they live such a life of subsistence that other people look at them and go, No, if that's being a Christian, I don't want that. Huh? There are people who stay away from church because they think they can't have the money and the stuff that they want to have if they're going to be a committed Christian. And it's a lie of the enemy. They never read the Bible. Have you ever read about Abraham? Huh? Solomon? Job? Multi-billionaires. And the Bible said God made them rich. But see, that, that sounds like wrong doctrine to a lot of people nowadays. They think, oh, what? you got you to stay away from that. Stay away from the Bible? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> huh? Are these verses right? Yes. Then this is beyond what you think or what I think. This is eternal truth. Whether you believe it or not, it's still true. Whether you like it or not, it's still true. Whether it benefits you or not is still true. And people can say what they want to. I've been criticized by experts. Like Brother Hagin used to say, these little spurts don't bother me. (laughs) Then he'd go on to say, you know what an expert is, don't you? He goes, nah. He said an expert is a former drip under pressure. He, he had some unique definitions. <laughs> That's what he said. I've been, I've been criticized by experts. So these little spurts don't bother me. Why? Well, uh, they can laugh and they can mock and they can get mad all they want to. But I'm, enjoy, I'm enjoying being blessed. And I'm enjoying being able to be a blessing. I'm enjoying, you know, we talked about here recently, we, we, out of that thing a couple of years ago with the catch up and get ahead, we've already helped, uh, uh, what, over 50 churches and ministries because the Lord had taken care of us through the pandemic and all our bills are paid and we're helping other people. So, yeah, you, you ought to do that. Well, you can't do it if you don't have it. Why is that so hard to get a hold of? Huh? 
You cannot give what you don't have. And that's not just for a church. That's for every believer. Is it true that it is written, the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich. And notice that next phrase. He what? See, he's talking about adding because rich is adding to you. But he doesn't add any bad stuff to you. He's not going to add any sorrow. He's just adding what makes you rich. Rich. Not just for the sake of being rich, but rich so you can be rich in good works, the scripture says. more you have, more you can do. Nobody said you had to spend it all on yourself. <laughs> Are you all okay? <sighs> you believe it with me? I'm going to make some statements and then we may take... Months explaining. <laughs> I'm, you know how we do, right? I mean, we may be on this for weeks and weeks. We'll, we'll see. But uh, uh, two big things here. The enemy is always trying to instill in you and I the fear of running out. I don't have to ask you if you've experienced it. I know, you, I know you have, and I know you've had to deal with it. And if you haven't cast it down and overcome it, you got it right now. Say it out loud, the fear of running out. Say it again. Where did that come from? God didn't give us. Is that right? God didn't give us the spirit of fear. Well, if he didn't give it to us, we shouldn't take it. We shouldn't have it. God didn't give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And a revelation of how much he loves us and a revelation of how great his power is will cause you to be settled that you will always be taken care of. That will deliver you from the fear of running out. Now, while the enemy is always trying to get fear in you of running out, the Spirit of God's always trying to get faith in you for running over. Huh? Running out? Running over. You choose. Hmm? You choose what you believe. You choose what you say. You choose what you think. You choose what you meditate on. Choose what you believe. Help me out. Running out? No. Boo! <laughs> no! I don't accept that. I don't believe that. I'm going to say something. Everybody may not like it, but the, uh, the current climate hysteria it's fear. It's fear-based. It's fear everything. And so it can't be God. Are y'all listening or not? It cannot be God. Because God didn't give you fear. Things from God are not putting you in fear. They'll put faith in you. And what is it a fear of? 
Yeah, ain't going to be enough planet for us. Ain't going to be enough atmosphere. Is that right? Not going to be enough. Not going to be enough. Not going to be enough. And there is so much arrogance and ignorance involved in that. For one thing, that man could control it. I've heard people who are published in multiple places say, and I I thought that's absolutely right. I'm talking about climatologists that have spent 40 and 50 years studying these things. They said, we don't understand the atmosphere. After a lifetime of studying it, they said, we just don't understand it well enough. That I believe. (laughs) Are y'all with me? Huh? And... That God would make a planet that couldn't sustain the inhabitants. See, there's so many things wrong with this. And people get fighting mad over these things. I know. But you need to examine what's going on with you. If you're not a climatologist, you're just believing something you heard somebody say. Where'd they get it from? But more importantly, as a child of God, you are to be completely free. From all fears. Is that right? No matter what's going on or why. Regardless of why. You need to believe that your good God is going to keep you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to help you. Is that right? Somebody say, I'm going to make it. All the way. Because of my good God. Because he is well able to keep me. And he is faithful to keep me. When you get full of faith in God as your uh, source and as your provider and as the God of more than enough and as the God who increase, the God of increase, who adds to you more and more, you lose the fear of running out. You, 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 I, you absolutely are no longer afraid that you'll get to a place where you don't have enough money to pay your bills. And people say, well, you know, in this climate, in this economy, everybody has concerns. Not if you're in faith. Oh, granted, I'm not happy with what I'm seeing and hearing. I understand. But I tell you one thing. My daddy is a big daddy. You believe it or not. People, see, 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 through all this fear and stuff, people are making God small. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we saw this in the previous series, I believe it's Psalm 51, where the Lord talks about, he said, you thought I was just like you. But I'll reprove you. I'm going to correct you. Why? That I'm not like you. And people that don't know God, they try to recreate him like themselves. And they make God small. But he's not small. Huh? If we had a clue how big... God is. Come on, let me help you just a little bit. Uh, Reckon how many fish 
They are in the oceans. Huh? Then you ought to be able to find a fish to eat. Look how many birds there are that soar in the air. Huh? Reckon how many bananas fall off the tree and rot in the jungle that nobody, more than anybody could ever eat. I'm telling you, if you travel a little bit, we just traveled out west. I'm telling you, you, you fly for hours and see hardly anybody living. It's because everybody wants to pile up in one little spot. <laughs> There's so much room. There's so much resources. Huh? There is more than enough for everybody times a thousand. Come on, are you listening to me? I'm, I'm telling you, God is a big God. He's a big God. And he's the God of increase. Not only is he big, he's getting bigger, I guess. He's increasing. He's increasing things. He's increasing us more and more. You and your little kitties. Somebody say, I believe it. I believe it. You know how you know you're believing it? The fear starts to leave. I said, the fear starts to leave. Will we have enough? Are we going to make it? See, fear of running out. It's not going to be enough for everybody. Hmm? I tell you the stuff about uh, hoarding for the end times. That can be fear. And not God. And you know, unless God helps you and keep you, you can pile all that stuff up, and if it got that bad, people could show up and take it away from you. <laughs> well, I'll have my guns. Well, I'll have theirs too. <laughs> I'm telling you, either way you go, you're going to need God. Is that right? I said, you're going to need God, and if you're going to get His help, it won't be with fear. you got to get rid of the fear. You got to get it out of you. Not just cope with the fear. Get rid of the fear. Come on, somebody say, I, 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 I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear. God's with me. Is that right? Like the 23rd Psalm talks about. It. He'll take care of me. Woo. <clears throat> Anybody think you're going to like this series okay? Or, huh? Good, good. We're all in agreement. So. Uh, go to find a scripture, and then I want to tell you a story. I know you like stories. Uh, go to uh, 2 Kings, the third chapter. We've been in contact recently with uh, some friends of ours that have been missionaries to Africa for, I think, well over 50 years. Uh, Ralph and Shirley Hagemeyer are their names, and they've been missionaries in Tanzania and in the uh, Congo for, I think, at least 50 years. And um, I I was uh, discovered and reminded of a sermon he preached, and this was years ago, 
Uh, when I taught at Rama, uh, he was a guest minister. They'd have missionaries come in for a few months and teach on that subject, and then they'd go back on the field. And he was there uh, more than more than one year. He'd come for a little while, and he and his wife, Miss Shirley, and then they'd go. And our offices were close to each other when he was there, and so we got to know each other, and we'd go out to lunch. And uh, uh, he uh, he shared this message in a church years ago. And so the first part of what I'm sharing is his testimony and the message he preached. Uh, he said that, uh, I guess it was 58, when God dropped Africa in his heart. Uh, they're in their 80s now. And... Uh, so it took them a few years to get there, but they went. And uh, man, I have much respect for these folks and everybody that does these kind of things. They uh, they took their two young girls over there and and they believed God and threw all kind of things. And in the Congo next door, they had two wars during the time they were there and all kind of things. They had to, a lot of weaker people would have bailed. But they stayed. And in the early days of uh, their ministry, this was actually 1974. Uh, so they were there on the field in uh, Tanzania. And uh, what they would do is they would go for four years. And then they'd come back to the States for a year. And then they'd go back for four years. And uh, that's, they'd had that cycle, a five-year cycle. And so uh, they had been in the field for two years. And their home church, their pastors were having their 50th year anniversary. And so they wanted him to come bring the family in and uh, preach during that time. And uh, they said, uh, in fact, they, well, they were going on the road because they were going to three different places that were about three or 400 miles apart each way. And so they were gone for weeks. And when they got back in, they'd go to the post office. And there was both a letter and a telegram, because they didn't get the letter in time, to say, hey, we want you to come home. This would have been to Texas. We want you to come in and celebrate with us the 50th. And we're going to send money. We got the money for your tickets for you and, and, and Shirley and the, and the girls. Yeah, come in, have a little rest, and uh, celebrate with us. And so uh, he, Ralph said, when he heard that, he thought, come in in the middle of our term here, you know. And he said, uh, these are his words now. He said, I grew up in a penny-pinching home. Penny-pinching. And he said, we, you know, we didn't want to waste you know, any, and we really pinched the money, and I, and, and I was thinking, you know, he's a missionary, he's on the field, and he was saying, man, you know how much money that is, you know, four tickets to, to go all the way home for two weeks, and then come back to the field, he said, uh, I could build a church with that, that much money, I could, he could build a physical structure there, <laughs> y'all are quiet, <laughs> and uh, so, uh, he said, that's a lot of money just to spend on a flying trip going in, you know, two weeks. Uh, he said, well, uh, he called them and said, now, 
do you want just me to come in? They said, no, we got the money. We, we want your wife to come in. We want the girls to come in. All of you come in. We're paying. I guess it was Air France or whatever. We're paying. Come on in. And he said, well, let me pray about it. and I'll get back with you just the next day or so. And uh, he said he kept thinking, you know, uh, I thought, well, if they'd just give me that money. <laughs> he said, but they didn't offer that. And so he said, I, I could build a church with that. And so he said, the, uh, the next morning, they're around the table and they have their devotionals. And they read this passage of scripture that I just had you to turn to. Are you there? All right. They read what happened on this occasion and God spoke to him. From this passage. Second Kings chapter 3. Y'all okay? Mind if I take my time with this and don't, don't rush it? Because this, uh, this is life changing what we're talking about here. Uh, what happened is that these enemy kings, or excuse me, the, these kings combined together to go fight against their enemies. And verse 9, if you skip down chapter 3 and verse 9, the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. And there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. So it sounds like an ill-advised campaign. And here, the next thing you know, they're out here and they run out of water and they're in trouble. And the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord's called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. He said, the Lord's called us out here to kill us all. Give, give us to Moab. You know, just because somebody starts talking about the Lord, doesn't mean it's got anything to do with the Lord. Is that right? And so uh, uh, Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord so we can inquire uh, of the Lord by him? And they said, well, uh, Elisha's here. And you know, he poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, well, the word of the Lord's with him. So uh, they went down to him. And Elisha said, uh, what have I to do with you? Go get to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. and Because they, they've been worshiping other gods. And he said, why are you coming to me now for? Go. go. <laughs> you know, God himself said that. Uh, there were times when the people came to him because they were in desperate situation. And he said, go to your new gods. Let them take care of you. <laughs> but, uh, and the king of Israel said, no, no, the Lord's called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Man, they shouldn't, they shouldn't have gone with him. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I wouldn't look towards you nor see you. But since he's here, I'll talk to you. So bring me a minstrel, because all this unbelief is holding things up. We've got to see if we can get in the spirit and hear from God. <laughs> bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played, the hand of the Lord came on him. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you will not see wind, 
nor you won't see rain. And yet the valley will be filled with water that you may drink both you and your cattle and your beasts. Can God fill things up with what you need and you don't even see how it came? Huh? You, You won't see rain. You won't hear see wind. But they'll all be full. Full of good, clear, drinkable water. Woo! Somebody say, that's my daddy. That's, that's, my, daddy. that's, that's my daddy. Hallelujah. That's my father. Now, now, remember, Brother Ralph, Miss Shirley, missionaries in Africa, sitting around their table there in Tanzania, 1974. He's got to make the. He got to call them back and say, "Are we coming or not?" And this is what this is the chapter they read that morning in their devotional. Does it pay to read your chapter? Because he got his answer right here. He was reading this, and and it, and it, it, it just impressed upon him. God can fill up all the 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 holding places with water, and you not even know. How they came, and um, the, uh, the their pastors wanted them to come in. He said, "Come in and and get refreshed a little bit, you know, before you go back out on the field." And and he was saying, "Yeah, but it's so much money. I could use that money for something else." And and so uh, he said, the, "The Lord said, this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord." Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Huh? Getting enough water for everybody is a light thing. Somebody say, it's a light thing. It's a light thing. Uh, that, that word can also be translated uh, quick. It can also be translated easy. I like both of those words. Quick and easy. Huh? So it says, yeah, but we don't see how. Yeah, but you're not doing it. <laughs> we don't see any way. We're not surprised. But for God, I said for him, for the creator of the heavens and the earth, filling some ditches with water, ain't no big thing. Is that right? It's not a big thing. You need some water? God say, I got your water. Don't worry about it. Don't be scared. Yeah, but God, I need $10,000. You think God's going to go, whoa. He makes stars. Oh, come on, he makes stars. You think that's going to be a big thing to him? A trillion dollars is nothing to him. Nothing to him. Such a light, trivial thing to our God. But see, people who don't know him and don't have faith, everything's too big. And they try to make God like them. Like he's as tight as they are. And as scared as they are. And he's not. I said he's not. He says, no problem. (laughs) It's a light thing. And here's where it began to break for Brother Ralph. He said, uh, it's a light thing. 
Uh, he said, he will deliver the Moabites into your hand. Oh, somebody say, he will. He will deliver the Moabites into your hand. That was their problem. And uh, you'll smite every fence city, every choice tree. And the uh, brother Ralph said, sitting at the table, it hit him. God is an also God. <laughs> Say that out loud. God, God is an also, is also God. God. He said, I'm going to get you water. Also. <laughs> oh, somebody got it. Also. I'm going to give Moab into your hand. Also, I'm going to deliver this city myself. I'm going to defend it myself. Also. Also. And he said it, he said it dawned on him. He said, God can do two things at once. <laughs> now we're laughing. But he said he saw it that he and Shirley had been either or people either or and that's what he was doing either or because you're checking things by your limitations by your abilities and so it had to be either or you either go in home or you could build a church and he said the Lord quickened to him I can take you home you and your family and I'll build that church for you. Whoo! Man, let's get in your spirit. It'll change your life. I said it will change your life. Somebody say, God, my God is an all-so God. Hallelujah. That, that's that same word and same idea of more and more in addition to right it's exactly God said I'm going to do this and additionally I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and he, and he said uh, Ralph and Emmy said so they thought okay praise God alright so they, they called back and they said we're coming so they came in and uh after that cycle of, uh, they went back, you know, for another two years, and they came back in and presented two projects. Because the churches that supported them and the denomination they were with and all that, and uh, uh, didn't get enough for either one of them. And so went back on the field. And he said, somebody pointed out to him later, he said, do you realize your first term, you were a failure? He said, I didn't know it. He didn't realize it. He said, I don't think that way. He just went back. And the next cycle he came back, he had 13 projects. And they required 200,000. Of course, this is back in the uh, 
70s, and this was Africa, required 200,000 to do what he was wanting to do. And some of his friends and even elders told him, oh, man, don't, don't even say that number, you know. Say 20,000. And when you get, he said, no, no. And uh, he said, uh, uh, the enemy came and told him, well, even that wouldn't be enough. He said, thank you very much. That's right, devil. That ain't enough. (laughs) I'm going to claim some more. And by the time the next five-year cycle was done, he had had 350,000 come in and completed all the projects. Well, somebody say, praise God, praise God. Because he found out that God is an all-so God. Go to the 20th chapter here in this same book. Say it out loud, my God can do more than one thing at a time. That's what he said. He said he realized God could do two things at a time. Then he realized, well, he can do three things at a time. Then he realized he could do 13 things at a time. <laughs> and, and they have built schools. They've built clinics. They've built Bible schools. All the money's come in for Somebody say, glory to God, glory to God. He realized God could do more than one thing. You got to have a renewing of the mind out of this either or. Because that's measuring things by yourself. What you can see. Or what you think you could make happen. But God can do both. And even more. Are you okay? Chapter 20. Then 2 Kings 20, and you'll also find this in uh, Isaiah, the 38th chapter, the same story. It's the account of Hezekiah and how that he got, uh, he was sick. He he was deathly ill. And uh, to top it off, the prophet showed up. And said, the Lord said, set your house in order, you're going to die. Well, that would seem pretty final. <laughs> right? <laughs> Ain't no need in him asking the prophet to pray for you. God already said, you're going to die. Get things in order. But he didn't. He turned his face to the wall. And prayed. Intently. Well, what do you see when you turn your face to the wall? Especially if you're close to the wall. (laughs) You see a little spot on the wall, which means you're not seeing anything else. Is that right? You got your focus completely on God. And he poured out his heart and he said, God, I've, you know, I've endeavored to do what you told me to do. And I'm paraphrasing. He said, but, you know, basically I don't want to die. And I mean, before the prophet could get out of the front yard, before he could get, you know, to the road, the Lord said, hold up, hold up, <laughs> turn around, go back. Did God change his mind? Yes. No, he didn't. Mm-mm. If you read the rest of the chapter, it said he was ready to save me. 
God doesn't change. Mr. Willie, he changed. No, Hezekiah changed. Come on, y'all listening. Hezekiah changed. And because Hezekiah made some significant changes, God was able to change what was going to happen to him. Come on, can you see this? Just because something happens. Or even if God said something was going to happen, that doesn't necessarily mean it was his perfect will for it to happen. Now, you may have to think about that. But it's true nonetheless. But he said, uh, turn around, go back, tell him, uh, tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people. Hallelujah. He's pleased with his prayer and his repentance. He said, tell him, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. And this is where you need to start reading with me. He said, uh, uh, verse 5, turn, tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, uh, 2 Kings 20, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you're going to go up to the house of the Lord. You're going to come off this bed. We might say it like this. You'll be in church three days from now. And. Are y'all in verse 6? And. What was the first thing? I'm on, I'm on heal you. And. And. Also. In addition to. I'm going to add. I'm going to add to your days. Fifteen years. And. And. I'm going to deliver you and this city. Out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I'm going to defend this city for my own sake. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do this too. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be healed. You're going to live a long time. You're going to be delivered. Get rid of your enemy problem. Huh? Is he the same God? Somebody say, he's the also God. He's the also God. Don't you like that? And, I mean, that wasn't the end. Uh, Verse 8, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What will be the sign the Lord will heal me, and I'll go up to the house of the Lord the third day? That's not complete faith, but God's merciful. And Isaiah said, This is the sign you'll have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he's spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees? Now, they didn't have uh, spring watches and clocks and things like we've got now. Certainly didn't, certainly didn't have digital. They had sundials. Sundials. And, and some of them were very accurate. And so depending on the, the shadow that the sun cast, you could read on the dial what time it was. And as the shadow changed, of course, the time would change what you read. And so he said, uh, this is the sign that you'll have. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees 
or go back 10 degrees? You reckon the Lord knew which one he's going to pick? And so Hezekiah said, it's a light thing. (laughs) it's It's a light thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. It goes down every day. Right? Time keeps moving the same direction as far as the orbit of the planets. He said, that's, that's easy. That's, that's a light thing. He said, uh, um, let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. Because ain't nobody ever seen that. <laughs> and Isaiah the prophet cried to the Lord. And he, the Lord, brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. They could read it on the sundial. The shadow went the other way. 10 degrees. Now, there's all kind of people who don't believe this. They'd mock, they'd scoff. But that just means they don't believe the Bible. They don't believe the Bible's the Word of God and probably don't even believe that God exists. But if you believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then you got no problem with this. Is that right? Because if he, if he could create it, and something created it, it came from somewhere. And if you can't prove it wasn't God, you weren't there. He did cause it to go back. Why? See, we're talking about how big God is. Oh, come on, help me out now. What would it take to do that? That's why people scoff and go, that's impossible. It's impossible. Well, then where did the sun come from? Where did it come from? Where did the galaxies come from? You don't know. Then you don't know this is not right then. And if there is a being with knowledge and power enough to do that, then certainly he could reverse it if he wanted to. He knew, he knew how to make it. He knew how to set it in motion. He could suspend it. He could alter it. it it's kind of like, wow. For God, I don't know how he did it. You would think the entire solar system would have to go backwards for a little while. And people say, that's impossible. You know, everything would come apart. Well, I don't know how he did it. But to him, it was like winding your watch. (laughs) Pulling the stem out and winding it back 10 degrees and then going, okay, y'all happy with that? All right, let her go back the way. (laughs) If we believe this, Why would we be in fear? Will we have something to eat? Will we have something to wear? Will we have enough for our kids? Will we have enough? Why would you? See, fear is lack of faith 
in your supply, in your God, in your creator. So go through the list now. Is he the also God? What did he tell Hezekiah? I'm going to heal you and also adding to your days 15 years. Is that right? And 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 the big and and let's give you a sign. Huh? And we're gonna I think it was it was kind of a challenge when Hezekiah said, Well, you know, it's an easy thing to let the uh, uh let it go forward. And God's probably thinking, easy, huh? <laughs> What do you know about the orbit of the planets? But just for to make a point. Come on, y'all with me? Not only can I keep it all moving forward, I can move it the other way. Somebody say, he can do both. He can do all three. He can do all million. <laughs> Can you give me just a couple of more minutes on this? Go to Mark 14. He is, don't, don't you appreciate Brother Ralph for Hagemeyer for sharing that? that that's, that's what he said changed his life in ministry. He realized God can send us home. He, he can pay for our airfare and take care of us for a couple of weeks. And, right? And we can build the churches too. We can do it. It's not just either or. It's not just based on what we could do. He can do both. He can do all three. Then he got up to 13 at a time, you know. Woo, thank you, Lord. Mark 14. Are you there? This is the account. Of the woman who brought the special gift for Jesus. The alabaster box of ointment. You remember that? And uh, verse 3, Mark 14, 3. Being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he said at meat, there came a woman. Having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. This would have been like an heirloom passed down from mother to daughter or maybe even great-grandmother to grandmother. The, the alabaster box was a thin uh, white stone box. And back then, uh, especially spices and um, ointments like this, you couldn't find them just anywhere. They were exceedingly rare, and they were they were worth money, a lot of money. And um, we have estimates of something like this. You know, uh, it would have been uh, probably at least in modern money tens of thousands of dollars, probably more like scores of thousands of dollars. So you know, anywhere from thirty thousand to two or three times that much. I don't know, but 
regardless of what age you live in, if it's valuable to you, it's valuable. And I reckon this is probably the most expensive, valuable thing she had in, in the house, in her possession. And she got it on her heart. She's been blessed and delivered through Jesus' ministry. And she wants to, to express that somehow. And she brings that and she just breaks it. And the ointment comes on him. And uh, he's going to smell amazing for a while. But that's the end of this. Right? And uh, his uh, disciples, led mostly by Judas, they, they got upset about this. In verse 4, there were some that had indignation within themselves. And they said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Uh, it goes on to say, it, it might have been sold for more than 300 pence. That gives you some idea of what it was worth because a pence could have been what an average worker would make in a day. So you're talking, you know, what, three-fourths of a year wages or something, uh, more than that. Or about about that, and so um, this could have been sold and given to the poor. Uh, recently, uh, Mike and I were somewhere, and something was going on, and and a young Christian was uh, uh, he's talking to him, and something came up about this, and and he was shocked that that wasn't a quote from Jesus. <laughs> this could have been sold and given to the poor. Many people believe Jesus said that. And that's not an accident. That's the enemy. Huh? This could have been sold and given to the poor. What, what are they saying? Either or. Come on, can you see this or not? Either you give a big gift to Jesus or you give it to the poor. And so you should have given it to the poor because that's what God would want. You got God manifest in the flesh in the room with you, brother. You need to listen to what he's saying. Is that right? And this would have been the perfect moment to make this crystal clear. If, as many believe, God despises this kind of thing, it would have been the time for Jesus to say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Haven't I taught y'all anything? No. Yes, they're right. This should have been given to the poor. Not wait. He didn't say that. I said he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He received it. I said he received it. And he commended her. And in fact, he said it was going to be seen to that everywhere the gospel was preached, this was going to be told. What she did. Why? Well, that's certainly not speaking against it. Now, it's the devil that hates this. Not God. Can you see either or? Either or. But look, what, what kind of God do we have? Help me out. 
He's an also. He's an also God. Uh, it could have been sold, verse 5, for more than 300 pence. It could have been given to the poor. And they murmured at her. How wrong that is. What business is it of theirs? It's her thing. It's her money. Is that right? What is it to them? But see, people get this religious thing in their mind. Oh, they're going to stand up for God. You're not talking for God. Who said this should have been sold and given to the poor? I want everybody clear on this now. Who said that? Judas. Judas Iscariot. And four verses later, or whatever, he went to the chief priest and asked them how much money they would give him to betray Jesus. And John talks about, he didn't say that because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he carried the bag. He wanted it sold so the money would get in the bag so he'd have access to it. Nothing to do with the poor. And these people who talk about these things and yell and judge and find fault, all they're doing is revealing that they care too much about money. Or they wouldn't care what you were doing. Hmm? They love money too much. They're upset about it. They're coveting that money. They're wanting it. And if they don't have it, they're going to find fault with you somehow. But God is an also God. Look, look, look in verse 7 now. Verse 6, he said, let her alone. Leave her alone. Reckon that word's still good today? Leave her alone. None of your business. Leave her alone. She's wrought a good work on me. Instead of him saying it was wrong, he said it's a good thing. She did something great for me. She, She honored him, didn't she? She honored him. This was about, God's always looking at the heart. And this is about heart. And the Lord said, those that honor me, I will honor. Uh, verse 7 for you have the poor with you always and whensoever you will you may do good to them is he saying you can do both let me come over here on this side is he saying huh does it have to be either or he said look you can help the poor anytime you want to what does that have to do with what this woman just did? Come on, y'all listening. It has nothing to do with what this woman did with her own property. Do we need mind renewal in these areas? Oh, we do. There's been so much junk, even taught in churches. So much junk has come from the pulpit of churches. So much ignorance of the scriptures, so much confusion. And granted, there are the folks that talk way too much about money and they're, they're covetous and they're trying to prophesy it out of your pocket into theirs and that's wrong. But it doesn't change this. This was here before we got here. Is that right? This is right. This is right. Can you honor God? 
Can you bless people? Can you be blessed? And do things for people in need? Can God help you do it all? Yes, he can. It's a light thing for him. It's an easy thing for him. Can you say amen? Amen. Stand on your feet before I get started again. (laughs) Say it out loud. My God God. is a big.